This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Damian Bolwa, and this is Fifth and Mission. Today we're going to take a close look at one of the many places in the Bay Area that have suffered severe flooding in the recent storms. And we're going to do it through the eyes of a Chronicle photojournalist, Jessica Christian. Jessica has been covering the devastation in her hometown of Sonol, which sits in the East Bay just south of Pleasanton and has a population of around 800. Perhaps you know of Sonol after a ride on its historic Niles Canyon Railway. The continuous heavy rain has caused flooding and mudslides across the town, leaving many locals, including Jessica's family, in cleanup mode, even as they brace for more water in the coming days. At this point, one thing is clear. Sonol residents will be unpacking the consequences of this disaster for many days and weeks to come. Here's Jessica and her mom, Victoria, taking stock of a room filled with storage boxes in Victoria's home. Oh my goodness. I've only been in this storage room once. Oh my God, that box has water in it? What is this? Oh my gosh, Jessica, your first album. It's completely in water. How did that happen? This is gonna take months. It's gonna take months to clean this out. Uh, I wonder if my chair uniform got ruined. You're cheerleading. Um, it's in a tote somewhere in here. Jessica Christian is here with us. Listeners and Chronicle readers may know Jessica from the intimate work she's done on the homelessness crisis and the pandemic, or for the famous pictures she took on Orange Sky Day in September 2020. To read Jessica's story about the flooding in Sonol and to see the pictures she took, go to sfchronicle.com slash sonol. That's S-U-N-O-L. Jessica, how are you? I'm doing well. Finally getting some time to breathe after a couple weeks of, you know, storm after storm, not just hitting my family's home, but my own, so. Yeah, it, obviously the storm is personal for a lot of people, but especially you, and I'm, I'm glad you spent time in your town. Tell, tell us first about Sonol. How do you describe it? Sonol is one of those places that honestly people, even from the Bay Area, have never heard of. It's a place that I think has been suspended in time. It's been pretty untouched by the rest of the Bay Area development that we've seen. It's a little town kind of nestled in between Fremont and Pleasanton, pretty much just containing rolling green hills covered in little cows. The town has a single K-8 through school a post office, a bar and restaurant, and a train station. And that's kind of all there is there. Doesn't it have a a dog who's the mayor? Yeah, Sonol also has the history of having a chocolate lab named Bosco as mayor officially for about 10 years in the 90s. Even in town right now, there's a statue honoring him. And at the bar, you can drink Bosco beer that is poured from a taxidermy dog that lifts its leg and pours you beer. So it's a tourist attraction amongst many other things. But if anything, it was just this really tiny farm town that four generations of my family have been from. You wrote about how with that small town, you know, that that one gathering place, Bosco's, the sense of community there, culture of helping one another. How did that play out 
in the recent storms. So Knoll is also a town that's unincorporated in Alameda County. So there aren't many resources when it comes to, you know, things other cities might have, like city councils, things like that. So pretty much everyone has to rely on their neighbors if they want to get things done. So in Sonol, there's a road called Kilcare Road where pretty much all the residents in town live. Their homes are pretty far apart. There's no cell service. And so it's one of those things where you have no choice but to know your neighbors in case of emergencies. In these floods, we heard stories of people just walking down the street, knocking on doors, trying to check in and see if people were affected by the floodwaters that pretty much took over the whole road, flooding a lot of houses. It took down a lot of cars that were parked on the road. So everyone's just kind of seeing how they can lend a helping hand to their neighbors. The school in town was really affected, and the school saw a lot of alumni, people that grew up in the town and went to that little school, come out and just see how they could be of help when it came to cleaning up or, you know, fundraising, things like that. So it was pretty much immediate. You saw this sense of community that wasn't really asked for, but just kind of materialized out of a need that wasn't there. Before we get into some of the photos that you took and how it all went down. I mean, tell us about your family home. What happened? Yeah, so my mom, she lives on this little house that's along the train tracks, literally like 10 feet from the train tracks. You hear it, this roaring train almost two or three times a day. And on the other side of the train tracks, there's a river, the Arroyo de la Laguna, which is the main vein through that region that leads out to the bay. So the day of the flooding, my mom didn't really think that the water would hit her house because it's on the other side of the railroad tracks. There's no way that she thought the river would get that high. All right. I know we have some audio of your mom, Victoria, to help tell this story. Let's take a listen. It rose quickly. I mean, as I was looking at it, I thought, no, there's no way it can come in the house. But it did. I'd never experienced anything like this. And it seemed like it rose three feet in 15 minutes. While this is happening, she's sending me texts with videos of it coming really close to her back deck. And slowly but surely, the side of her house where her bedroom is, is a little bit lower than the other rest of the house. And she went into there and she saw that it was float. <laughs> pretty much things were floating on the floor and there was ankle deep water in her bedroom. I start throwing things on my bed, um, called friends and family in to help me do something. At that point, I had put on my flip-flops and rolled up my pants and threw everything I could on the bed. And it happened fast. It happened really fast. And it was also happening at a time where they were losing sunlight. So she had this experience of trying to rush against the clock to save whatever she could to basically get my grandpa, who's 85, to a safe place and get his belongings out of there. But in the garage and our other storage buildings, Everything was under at least six to eight inches. Family memories, I can't even go, I can't even go there right now. Um, I do want to say that there's a lot of people in town that are a lot worse off than I was. Mine, um, it's just stuff, you know, but things were floating in the garage, so obviously everything was turned upside down, covered in mud, um, mementos. Uh, my mother had passed away some of her stuff in there that I had in there is gone. I mean, it's just everything's covered in mud. It is like I'd never even seen anything like it. And it's just so jarring, I think, with this experience for me to like know what these places look like before the floodwaters and then seeing this after effect. It just it was like out of a movie. It pretty much just made an entire lake out of her front and backyard. 
Jessica, I mean, you are obviously someone who tells other people's stories every day in the Bay Area. What what drew you to take the camera to Sonoma? I knew that it was in an area where they were getting a lot of emergency alerts saying, if you live by this creek, if you live on Kilcare Road, you have to evacuate. And it was the only place that I really saw in the Bay Area with that immediate danger. So I just thought it was a good opportunity for me to use my reporting skills and my community connections to be able to tell a story. There's so many towns across Northern California at this point that have been flooded or under evacuation. But I think having that local knowledge and and just kind of knowing the people that I wanted to see and check in on would have helped me tell that story in a more intimate way. All right, let's take a quick break on Fifth and Mission when we come back. More with Jessica Christian, a photographer at The Chronicle, right after this. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bolwa, joined by Chronicle photojournalist Jessica Christian. We're talking about her Very intimate story and photographs about flooding in her hometown of Sonol. Jessica, I want to talk about some of the images that you captured. For listeners that want to see those, go to sfchronicle.com slash Sonol. That's S-U-N-O-L. One of the images that you shot was of Sonol residents filling sandbags. Tell me about the community effort behind that shot. Yeah, so another big part about this response to the floods within the community was that there's this Facebook page called Love Sonol California, and it's a way for everyone to kind of just see the latest news, see if there's a town meeting. And the way that I found out about these floods in the first place was that page was just post after post after post of people asking for help, asking for resources of like, how do I get sandbags, things like that. And through that page, a lot of people just started organizing little meetups every day of like, hey, we need sandbags. We're going to go to Pleasanton and pick up some sand if you want to help pile them up we'll be at the church. So everyone was just communicating through this page. I mean, Sonol is interesting because half the town is just the older, elderly people that have been there, like my grandparents for four generations. And you're also now seeing a lot of younger families that are looking for a more secluded place to raise their kids. It was just a really heartwarming thing to see like multiple generations of new and old Sonolians coming together. They were building like 150 sandbags and counting, and they would just be getting taken up the road and somebody took a truck up and would knock on everyone's door like who needs them you know it was just pretty much all hands on deck situation obviously you were a great person to tell this story but kind of a professional question i mean did you find yourself sort of trying to balance your role as as a victim and a and a photographer yes that was something that was very jarring to me as well as like getting in my work brain like okay what do i need to tell this story what are the visuals that are going to make this most impactful while also just knowing my family <laughs> and knowing how they operate and you know how they move around the house how they talk to each other it was a little easier to anticipate certain moments but it didn't feel like work because i was in my family house so i did kind of lose a little bit of my you know focus when it came to documenting it as a hard news story because i was getting wrapped up in just you know, I wanted to know how my grandpa felt. When it's personal, I don't know, it's almost been an experience of just kind of being comfortable with opening up my family, my family's, you know, experience in this flood and the way that they're feeling. It's very personal, very vulnerable. 
and it helps me understand a lot of the people that I've documented in the past and how hard it must be for them to open up to people like me. We can hear that moment when you and your mom discover the damage to keepsakes and family heirlooms that are in, in boxes. Oh, what's that? Looks like everything in in this this room's gonna have to be thrown out. Does this sort of happen, the grief and, and the discovery in stages? I mean, tell us about these precious things. Yeah, it's been really interesting to be on this side of it for one of the first times. I feel like when I'm covering these stories, there is a general progression of things where it's like immediate action and in, in the emergency. And then there's the cleanup stage. And then there's the processing of emotions, which can really like grief not be linear. It just comes up when it does. And I understood that in a way, but until I actually like sat in that storage room and found a box of like my high school vinyl collection and like the gut punch that that felt like, um, you really can't understand it. The, the recording that I have of me and my mom, it's the first time me and her had stepped into there and actually looked at what got hurt and what got affected. And I know for my mom, it's just something that she's trying to just put off as long as she can because she knows it's going to be very emotional for her. But those feelings, yeah, they just come up of just like, oh, my God, I couldn't have told you off the top of my head what were in those boxes. But the second I, I look in them, I just like, you know, I sigh and I close my eyes and just like, oh, man, I, <laughs> this sucks because it could have been something I passed down to my kids. It could have been something that, you know, I'm going to find value in one day, but it's also an exercise in just trying to let go of those feelings. Sure. It, it reminded me of, of those scenes that you and I have done many times, which is returning to a home that's been burned down with the family and having them initially see that and, and know the process that's beginning. When the emergency event is occurring, you're in survival mode mentality. You're in a mode where it's like, I can't even be sad about this right now because I have to get through to the next thing. And it's not just about, you know, those feelings and emotions being processed in the moment, it's kind of compartmentalizing that and being like, I'm going to deal with that later. Right now we have to figure out how to dry out this space so everything's not lost. Yeah, like you said, I've seen a million times before of people walking through their homes, crying, you know, talking about memories and things like that. But once you see it, you know, it's your mom standing in front of you crying about, you know, the dishware that her mother passed down to her and her mom passed down to her, it's just a whole another level of grief. Jessica, are there any silver linings here looking back? I think that that's the, the big question, isn't it? I think that the silver linings that I've been able to hang on to is just the gratitude that it's not as bad as it could have been. There's a lot of people around the state right now. People have lost their lives. People have lost their entire houses. People are in different financial situations where they have no clue what the next step is going to be. So in a way, just being thankful that it wasn't worse has been has been something I've been trying to hold on to when I get really overwhelmed by everything. Another thing is just knowing that my community has each other's back and knowing that like fully that it's going to take a lot of time and, and effort to get to a place where they're in full recovery. But I know that they're going to get there at some point. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your, your work and your story. Thank you so much for having me. To read Jessica Christian's account of the flooding in Sonol and to see the picture she took, go to sfchronicle.com slash Sonol. That's S-U-N-O-L. I want to thank Jessica for joining us on Fifth Admission. Thanks also to Francesca Fenzi for producing this episode. 
to King Kaufman for editing it, and thank you for listening. <laughs>